Section 2 of Father Goriot by Honoré de Balzac Translated by Ellen Marriage This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section 2 Like all narrow natures, Madame Vauquet was wont to confine her attention to events, and did not go very deeply into the causes that brought them about. She likewise preferred to throw the blame of her own mistakes on other people. So she chose to consider that the honest vermicelli-maker was responsible for her misfortune. It had opened her eyes, so she said, with regard to him. As soon as she saw that her blandishments were in vain, and that her outlay on her toilette was money thrown away, she was not slow to discover the reason of his indifference. It became plain to her at once that there was some other attraction, to use her own expression. In short, it was evident that the hope she had so fondly cherished was a baseless delusion, and that she would never make anything out of that man yonder, in the countess's forcible phrase. The countess seemed to have been a judge of character. Madame Vauqueur's aversion was naturally more energetic than her friendship, for her hatred was not in proportion to her love, but to her disappointed expectations. The human heart may find here and there a resting place short of the highest height of affection, but we seldom stop in the steep downward slope of hatred. Still, M. Goriot was a lodger, and the widow's wounded self-love would not vent itself in an explosion of wrath. Like a monk harassed by the prior of his convent, she was forced to stifle her sighs of disappointment, and to gulp down her craving for revenge. Little minds find gratification for their feelings, benevolent or otherwise, by a constant exercise of petty ingenuity. The widow employed her woman's malice to devise a system of covert persecution. She began by a course of retrenchment. Various luxuries which had found their way to the table appeared there no more. No more gherkins, no more anchovies. They had made a fool of me, she said to Sylvie one morning, and they returned to the old bill of fare. The thrifty frugality necessary to those who mean to make their way in the world had become an inveterate habit of life with M. Goriot. Soup, boiled beef, and a dish of vegetables had been, and always would be, the dinner he liked best. So Madame Vauqueurs found it very difficult to annoy a boarder whose tastes were so simple. He was proof against her malice, and in desperation she spoke to him and of him slightingly before the other lodgers, who began to amuse themselves at his expense, and so gratified her desire for revenge. Towards the end of the first year the widow's suspicions had reached such a pitch that she began to wonder how it was that a retired merchant with a secure income of seven or eight thousand livres, the owner of such magnificent plate and jewellery handsome enough for a kept mistress, should be living in her house. Why should he devote so small a proportion of his money 
to his expenses until the first year was nearly at an end goriot had dined out once or twice every week but these occasions came less frequently and at last he was scarcely absent from the dinner-table twice a month it was hardly expected that madame vauqueur should regard the increased regularity of her boarder's habits with complacency when those little excursions of his had been so much to her interest she attributed the change not so much to a gradual diminution of fortune as to a spiteful wish to annoy his hostess it is one of the most detestable habits of a lilliputian mind to credit other people with its own malignant pettiness unluckily towards the end of the second year m goriot's conduct gave some colour to the idle talk about him he asked madame vauqueur to give him a room on the second floor and to make a corresponding reduction in her charges apparently such strict economy was called for that he did without a fire all through the winter madame vauqueur asked to be paid in advance an arrangement to which m goriot consented and thenceforward she spoke of him as father goriot what had brought about this decline and fall conjecture was keen but investigation was difficult father goriot was not communicative in the sham countess's phrase he was a curmudgeon empty-headed people who babble about their own affairs because they have nothing else to occupy them naturally conclude that if people say nothing of their doings it is because their doings will not bear being talked about so the highly respectable merchant became a scoundrel and the late beau was an old rogue opinion fluctuated sometimes according to vautrin who came about this time to live at the maison vacour father goriot was a man who went on change and dabbled to use the sufficiently expressive language of the stock exchange in stocks and shares after he had ruined himself by heavy speculation sometimes it was held that he was one of those petty gamblers who nightly play for small stakes until they win a few francs a theory that he was a detective in the employ of the home office found favour at one time but vautrin urged that goriot was not sharp enough for one of that sort there were yet other solutions father goriot was a skinflint a shark of a money-lender a man who lived by selling lottery tickets he was by turns all the most mysterious brood of vice and shame and misery yet however vile his life might be the feeling of repulsion which he aroused in others was not so strong that he must be banished from their society he paid his way besides goriot had his uses every one vented his spleen or sharpened his wit on him he was pelted with jokes and belaboured with hard words the general consensus of opinion was in favour of a theory which seemed the most likely this was madame vauqueur's view according to her the man so well preserved at his time of life as sound as her eyesight with whom a woman might be very happy was a libertine 
who had strange tastes these are the facts upon which madame vauqueur's slanders were based early one morning some few months after the departure of the unlucky countess who had managed to live for six months at the widow's expense madame vauqueur not yet dressed heard the rustle of a silk dress and a young woman's light footstep on the stair some one was going to goriot's room he seemed to expect the visit for his door stood ajar the portly sylvie presently came up to tell her mistress that a girl too pretty to be honest dressed like a goddess and not a speck of mud on her laced cashmere boots had glided in from the street like a snake had found the kitchen and asked for monsieur goriot's room madame vauqueur and the cook listening overheard several words affectionately spoken during the visit which lasted for some time when monsieur goriot went downstairs with the lady the stout sylvie forthwith took her basket and followed the lover-like couple under pretext of going to do her marketing monsieur goriot must be awfully rich all the same madame she reported on her return to keep her in such style just imagine it there was a splendid carriage waiting at the corner of the place de l'estrapade and she got into it while they were at dinner that evening madame vauqueur went to the window and drew the curtain as the sun was shining into goriot's eyes you are beloved of fair ladies monsieur goriot the sun seeks you out she said alluding to his visitor peste you have good taste she was very pretty that was my daughter he said with a kind of pride in his voice and the rest chose to consider this as the fatuity of an old man who wishes to save appearances a month after this visit m goriot received another the same daughter who had come to see him that morning came again after dinner this time in evening dress the boarders in deep discussion in the dining-room caught a glimpse of a lovely fair-haired woman slender graceful and much too distinguished looking to be a daughter of father goriot's two of them cried the portly sylvie who did not recognize the lady of the first visit a few days later and another young lady a tall well-moulded brunette with dark hair and bright eyes came to ask for monsieur goriot three of them said sylvie then the second daughter who had first come in the morning to see her father came shortly afterwards in the evening she wore a ball dress and came in a carriage four of them commented madame vauqueur and her plump handmaid sylvie saw not a trace of resemblance between this great lady and the girl in her simple morning dress who had entered her kitchen on the occasion of her first visit at that time goriot was paying twelve hundred francs a year to his landlady and madame vauqueur saw nothing out of the common in the fact that a rich man had four or five mistresses nay she thought it very knowing of him to pass them off as his daughters she was not at all inclined to draw a hard and fast line or to take umbrage at his sending for them to the maison vacour yet 
inasmuch as these visits explained her boarder's indifference to her she went so far at the end of the second year as to speak of him as an ugly old wretch when at length her boarder declined to nine hundred francs a year she asked him very insolently what he took her house to be after meeting one of these ladies on the stairs father goriot answered that the lady was his eldest daughter so you have two or three dozen daughters have you said madame vauqueur sharply i have only two her boarder answered meekly like a ruined man who is broken in to all the cruel usage of misfortune towards the end of the third year father goriot reduced his expenses still further he went up to the third story and now paid forty-five francs a month he did without snuff told his hairdresser that he no longer required his services and gave up wearing powder when goriot appeared for the first time in this condition an exclamation of astonishment broke from his hostess on the colour of his hair a dingy olive grey he had grown sadder day by day under the influence of some hidden trouble among all the faces round the table his was the most woebegone there was no longer any doubt goriot was an elderly libertine whose eyes had only been preserved by the skill of the physician from the malign influence of the remedies necessitated by the state of his health the disgusting colour of his hair was the result of his excesses and of the drugs which he had taken that he might continue his career the poor old man's mental and physical condition afforded some grounds for the absurd rubbish talked about him when his outfit was worn out he replaced the fine linen by calico at fourteen sous the ell his diamonds his gold snuff-box watch-chain and trinkets disappeared one by one he had left off wearing the cornflower blue coat and was sumptuously arrayed summer as well as winter in a coarse chestnut-brown coat a plush waistcoat and doeskin breeches he grew thinner and thinner his legs were shrunken his cheeks once so puffed out by contented bourgeois prosperity were covered with wrinkles and the outlines of the jawbone were distinctly visible there were deep furrows in his forehead in the fourth year of his residence in the rue neuvre saint genevieve he was no longer like his former self the hale vermicelli manufacturer sixty-two years of age who had looked scarce forty the stout comfortable prosperous tradesman with an almost bucolic air and such a brisk demeanour that it did you good to look at him the man with something boyish in his smile had suddenly sunk into his dotage and had become a feeble vacillating septuagenarian the keen bright blue eyes had grown dull and faded to a steel-grey colour the red inflamed rims looked as though they had shed tears of blood he excited feelings of repulsion in some and of pity in others the young medical students who came to the house noticed the drooping of his lower lip and the conformation of the facial angle 
and after teasing him for some time to no purpose they declared that cretinism was setting in one evening after dinner madame vacour said half banteringly to him so those daughters of yours don't come to see you any more eh meaning to imply her doubts as to his paternity but father goriot shrank as if his hostess had touched him with a sword point they come sometimes he said in a tremulous voice ah you still see them sometimes cried the students bravo father goriot the old man scarcely seemed to hear the witticisms at his expense that followed on the words he had relapsed into the dreamy state of mind that the superficial observers took for senile torpor due to his lack of intelligence if they had only known they might have been deeply interested by the problem of his condition but few problems were more obscure it was easy of course to find out whether goriot had really been a vermicelli manufacturer the amount of his fortune was readily discoverable but the old people who were most inquisitive as to his concerns never went beyond the limits of the quarter and lived in the lodging-house much as oysters cling to a rock as for the rest the current of life in paris daily awaited them and swept them away with it so soon as they left the rue neuvre saint genevieve they forgot the existence of the old man their butt at dinner for those narrow souls or for careless youth the misery in father goriot's withered face and its dull apathy were quite incompatible with wealth or any sort of intelligence as for the creatures whom he called his daughters all madame vauquer's boarders were of her opinion with the faculty of severe logic sedulously cultivated by elderly women during long evenings of gossip till they can always find an hypothesis to fit all circumstances she was wont to reason thus if father goriot had daughters of his own as rich as those ladies who came here seemed to be he would not be lodging in my house on the third floor at forty-five francs a month he would not go about dressed like a poor man no objection could be raised to these inferences so by the end of the month of november eighteen nineteen at the time when the curtain rises on this drama every one in the house had come to have a very decided opinion as to the poor old man he had never had either wife or daughter excesses had reduced him to his sluggish condition he was a sort of human mollusk who should be classed among the capulido so one of the dinner contingent an employee at the museum who had a pretty wit of his own poiret was an eagle a gentleman compared with goriot poiret would join the talk argue answer when he was spoken to as a matter of fact his talk arguments and responses contributed nothing to the conversation for poiret had a habit of repeating what the others said in different words still he did join in the talk he was alive and seemed capable of feeling while father goriot to quote the museum official again was invariably at zero degrees 
Riamour. Eugene de Rastignac had just returned to Paris in a state of mind not unknown to young men who are conscious of unusual powers, and to those whose faculties are so stimulated by a difficult position that, for the time being, they rise above the ordinary level. Rastignac's first year of study for the preliminary examinations in law had left him free to see the sights of paris and to enjoy some of its amusements a student has not much time on his hands if he sets himself to learn the repertory of every theatre and to study the ins and outs of the labyrinth of paris to know its customs to learn the language and become familiar with the amusements of the capital he must explore its recesses good and bad follow the studies that please him and form some idea of the treasures contained in galleries and museums at this stage of his career a student grows eager and excited about all sorts of follies that seem to him to be of immense importance he has his hero his great man a professor at the college de france paid to talk down to the level of his audience he adjusts his cravat and strikes various attitudes for the benefit of the women in the first galleries at opera comique as he passes through all these successive initiations and breaks out of his sheath the horizons of life widen around him and at length he grasps the plan of society with the different human strata of which it is composed if he begins by admiring the procession of carriages on sunny afternoons in the champs-elysees he soon reaches the further stage of envying their owners unconsciously eugene had served his apprenticeship before he went back to angouleme for the long vacation after taking his degrees as bachelor of arts and bachelor of law the illusions of childhood had vanished so also had the ideas he brought with him from the provinces he had returned thither with an intelligence developed with loftier ambitions and saw things as they were at home in the old manor-house his father and mother his two brothers and two sisters with an aged aunt whose whole fortune consisted in annuities lived on the little estate of rastignac the whole property brought in about three thousand francs and though the amount varied with the season as must always be the case in a vine-growing district they were obliged to spare an unvarying twelve hundred francs out of their income for him he saw how constantly the poverty which they had generously hidden from him weighed upon them he could not help comparing the sisters who had seemed so beautiful to his boyish eyes with women in paris who had realized the beauty of his dreams the uncertain future of the whole family depended upon him it did not escape his eyes that not a crumb was wasted in the house nor that the wine they drank was made from the second pressing a multitude of small things which it is useless to speak of in detail here made him burn to distinguish himself and his ambition to succeed increased tenfold he meant 
like all great souls that his success should be owing entirely to his merits but his was preeminently a southern temperament the execution of his plans were sure to be marred by the vertigo that seizes on youth when youth sees itself alone in a wide sea uncertain how to spend its energies whither to steer its course how to adapt its sails to the winds at first he determined to fling himself heart and soul into his work but he was diverted from this purpose by the need of society and connections then he saw how great an influence women exert in social life and suddenly made up his mind to go out into this world to seek a protectress there surely a clever and high-spirited young man whose wit and courage were set off to advantage by a graceful figure and the vigorous kind of beauty that readily strikes a woman's imagination need not despair of finding a protectress these ideas occurred to him in his country walks with his sisters whom he had once joined so gaily the girls thought him very much changed his aunt madame de marcillac had been presented at court and had moved among the brightest heights of that lofty region suddenly the young man's ambition discerned in those recollections of hers which had been like nursery fairy tales to her nephews and nieces the elements of a social success at least as important as the success which he had achieved at the ecole des droits he began to ask his aunt about those relations some of the old ties might still hold good after much shaking of the branches of the family tree the old lady came to the conclusion that of all persons who could be useful to her nephew among the selfish genus of rich relations the vicomtesse de beauseant was the least likely to refuse to this lady therefore she wrote in the old-fashioned style recommending eugene to her pointing out to her nephew that if he succeeded in pleasing madame de beauseant the vicomtesse could introduce him to other relations a few days after his return to paris therefore rastignot sent his aunt's letter to madame de beauseant the vicomtesse replied by an invitation to a ball for the following evening this was the position of affairs at the maison vacure at the end of november eighteen nineteen a few days later after madame de beauseant's ball eugene came in at two o'clock in the morning the persevering student meant to make up for the lost time by working until daylight it was the first time that he had attempted to spend the night in this way in that silent quarter the spell of a factitious energy was upon him he had beheld the pomp and splendour of the world he had not dined at the maison vancour the boarders probably would think that he would walk home at daybreak from the dance as he had done sometimes on former occasions after a fete at the prado or a ball at the odeon splashing his silk stockings thereby and ruining his pumps it so happened that christophe took a look into the street before drawing the bolts of the door and rastignac coming in at that moment could go up to his room without making any noise 
followed by Christophe, who made a great deal. Eugene exchanged his dress suit for a shabby overcoat and slippers, kindled a fire with some blocks of patent fuel, and prepared for his night's work in such a sort that the faint sounds he made were drowned by Christophe's heavy tramp on the stairs. Eugene sat absorbed in thought for a few moments before plunging into his law-books. He had just become aware of the fact that the Vicomtesse de Beauzillant was one of the queens of fashion, that her house was thought to be the pleasantest in the Faubourg Saint-Germain. And not only so, she was, by right of her fortune and the name she bore, one of the most conspicuous figures in that aristocratic world. Thanks to the aunt, thanks to Madame de Marcillac's letter of introduction, the poor student had been kindly received in that house before he knew the extent of the favour thus shown to him. It was almost like a patent of nobility to be admitted to those gilded salons. He had appeared in the most exclusive circle in Paris and now all doors were open for him. Eugene had been dazzled at first by the brilliant assembly, and had scarcely exchanged a few words with the Vicomtesse. He had been content to single out a goddess among this throng of Parisian divinities, one of those women who are sure to attract a young man's fancy. The Comtesse Anastasie de Restaud was tall, and gracefully made she had one of the prettiest figures in paris imagine a pair of great dark eyes a magnificently moulded hand a shapely foot there was a fiery energy in her movements the marquis de ronquerolles had called her a thoroughbred a pure pedigree these figures of speech have replaced the heavenly angel and oceanic nomenclature the old mythology of love is extinct doomed to perish by modern dandyism but for rastignac madame anastasie de restaud was the woman for whom he had sighed he had contrived to write his name twice upon the list of partners upon her fan and had snatched a few words with her during the first quadrille where shall i meet you again madame he asked abruptly, and the tones of his voice were full of the vehement energies that women like so well. "'Oh, everywhere,' said she, "'in the bois, at the bouffons, in my own house.' With the impetuosity of his adventurous southern temper, he did all he could to cultivate an acquaintance with this lovely countess, making the best of his opportunities in the quadrille and during a waltz that she gave him when he told her that he was a cousin of madame de beauseance the comtesse whom he took for a great lady asked him to call at her house and after her parting smile rastignac felt convinced that he must make this visit he was so lucky as to light upon someone who did not laugh at his ignorance, a fatal defect among the gilded and insolent youth of that period. The coterie of Molincourt, Maximes de Trailles, de Marseilles, 
roncalios ajuda pintos and vandenes who shone there in all the glory of coxcombry among the best-dressed women of fashion in paris lady brandon the duchesse de Langueil, the comtesse de crugagruet madame de zezy the duchesse de carigliano the comtesse ferrault madame de lanty marquis de anglemont madame firmiani the marquis de listomere and the marquis d'espard the duchesse de montfrignus and the grand lieu luckily therefore for him the novice happened upon the marquis de montriveau the lover of the duchess de Longuier, a general as simple as a child from him rastignac learned that the comtesse lived in the rue du helday ah what it is to be young eager to see the world greedily on the watch for any chance that brings you nearer the woman of your dreams and behold two houses open their doors to you to set foot in the vicomtesse de beauseant's house in the faubourg saint germain to fall on your knees before the comtesse de restaud in the chasseuse d'antin to look at one glance across a vista of paris drawing-rooms conscious that possessing sufficient good looks you may hope to find aid and protection there in a feminine heart to feel ambitious enough to spurn the tight-rope on which you must walk with the steady head of an acrobat for whom a fall is impossible and to find in a charming woman the best of all balancing poles he sat there with his thoughts for a while law on the one hand and poverty on the other beholding a radiant vision of a woman rise above the dull smouldering fire who would not have paused and questioned the future as eugene was doing who would not have pictured it full of success his wandering thoughts took wings he was transported out of the present into that blissful future he was sitting by madame de restaud's side when a sort of sigh like the grunt of an overburdened saint joseph broke the silence of the night it vibrated through the student who took the sound for a death groan he opened his door noiselessly went out upon the landing and saw a thin streak of light under father goriot's door eugene feared that his neighbor had been taken ill he went over and looked through the keyhole the old man was busily engaged in an occupation so singular and so suspicious that rastignac thought he was only doing a piece of necessary service to society to watch the self-styled vermicelli makers nocturnal industries the table was upturned and goriot had doubtless in some way secured a silver plate and cup to the bar before knotting a thick rope round them he was pulling at this rope with such enormous force that they were being crushed and twisted out of shape to all appearance he meant to convert the richly wrought metal into ingots pst what a man said rastignac as he watched goriot's muscular arms 
there was not a sound in the room while the old man with the aid of the rope was kneading the silver like dough was he then indeed a thief or a receiver of stolen goods who affected imbecility and decrepitude and lived like a beggar that he might carry on his pursuits the more securely eugene stood for a moment revolving these questions then he looked again through the keyhole father goriot had unwound his coil of rope he had covered the table with a blanket and was now employed in rolling the flattened mass of silver into a bar an operation which he performed with marvellous dexterity why he must be as strong as augustus the king of poland said eugene to himself when the bar was nearly finished father goriot looked sadly at his handiwork tears fell from his eyes he blew out the dip which had served him for a light when he manipulated the silver and eugene heard him sigh as he lay down again he is mad thought the student poor child father goriot said aloud rastignac hearing these words concluded to keep silence he would not hastily condemn his neighbor he was just in the doorway of his room when a strange sound from the staircase below reached his ears it might have been made by two men coming up in list slippers eugene listened two men there certainly were he could hear their breathing yet there had been no sound of opening the street door no footsteps in the passage suddenly too he saw a faint gleam of light on the second story it was monsieur vautrin's room there are a good many mysteries here for a lodging-house he said to himself he went part of the way downstairs and listened again the rattle of gold reached his ears in another moment the light was put out and again he distinctly heard the breathing of two men but no sound of a door being opened or shut the two men went downstairs the faint sounds growing fainter as they went who is there cried madame vacour out of her bedroom window i madame vacour answered vautrin's deep bass voice i'm coming in that is odd christophe drew the bolts said eugene going back to his room you have to sit up at night it seems if you really mean to know all that is going on about you in paris these incidents turned his thought from his ambitious dreams he betook himself to his work but his thought wandered back to father goriot's suspicious occupation madame de restaud's face swam again and again before his eyes like a vision of a brilliant future and at last he lay down and slept with clenched fists when a young man makes up his mind that he will work all night the chances are that seven times out of ten he will sleep till morning such vigils do not begin before we are turned twenty the next morning paris was wrapped in one of the dense fogs that throw the most punctual people out in their calculations as to the time even the most business-like folk fail to keep their appointments in such weather and ordinary mortals wake up at noon and fancy it is eight o'clock on this morning it was half-past nine and madame vauqueurs still lay abed 
christophe was late sylvie was late but the two sat comfortably taking their coffee as usual it was sylvie's custom to take the cream off the milk destined for the boarders breakfast for her own and to boil the remainder for some time so that madame should not discover this illegal exaction sylvie said christophe as he dipped a piece of toast into the coffee monsieur vautrin who is not such a bad sort all the same had two people come to see him again last night if madame says anything mind you say nothing about it has he given you something he gave me a five franc piece this month which is as good as saying hold your tongue except him and madame couture who doesn't look twice at every penny there's no one in this house that doesn't try to get back with the left hand all that they give with the right at new year said sylvie and after all said christophe what do they give you a miserable five-franc piece there is father goriot who has cleaned his shoes himself these two years past there is that old beggar poiret who goes without blacking altogether he would sooner drink it than put it on his boots then there is that whippersnapper of a student who gives me a couple of francs two francs will not pay for my brushes and he sells his old clothes and gets more for them than they are worth oh they're a shabby lot pooh said sylvie sipping her coffee our places are the best in the quarter that i know but about that great big chap vautrin christophe has anyone told you anything about him yes i met a gentleman in the street a few days ago he said to me there's a gentleman in your place isn't there a tall man that dyes his whiskers i told him no sir they aren't dyed a gay fellow like him hasn't the time to do it and when i told monsieur vautrin about it afterwards he said quite right my boy that is the way to answer them there is nothing more unpleasant than to have your little weaknesses known it might spoil many a match well and for my part said sylvie a man tried to humbug me at the market wanting to know if i had seen him put on his shirt such bosh there she cried interrupting herself that's a quarter to ten striking at the val de grace and not a soul stirring pooh they are all gone out madame couture and the girl went out at eight o'clock to take the wafer at saint etienne father goriot started off somewhere with a parcel and the student wouldn't be back from his lecture till ten o'clock i saw them go while i was sweeping the stairs father goriot knocked up against me and his parcel was as hard as iron what is the old fellow up to i wonder he is as good as a plaything for the rest of them they can never let him alone but he is a good man all the same and worth more than all of them put together he doesn't give you much himself but he sometimes sends you with a message to ladies who fork out famous tips they are dressed grandly too his daughters as he calls them hey there are a dozen of them i have never been to more than two the two who came here there is madame moving overhead i shall have to go or she will raise a fine racket 
just keep an eye on the milk christophe don't let the cat get at it sylvie went up to her mistress's room sylvie how is this it's nearly ten o'clock and you let me sleep like a dormouse such a thing has never happened before it's the fog it is that thick you could cut it with a knife but how about breakfast bah the boarders are possessed i'm sure they all cleared out before there was a wink of daylight do speak properly sylvie madame vacuus retorted say a blink of daylight ah well madame whichever you please anyhow you can have breakfast at ten o'clock la michonnette and poiret have neither of them stirred there are only those two upstairs and they are sleeping like the logs they are but sylvie you put their names together as if as if what said sylvie bursting into a guffaw the two of them make a pair it is a strange thing isn't it sylvie how monsieur vautrin got in last night after christophe had bolted the door not at all madame christophe heard monsieur vautrin and went down and undid the door and here you are imagining that give me my bodice and be quick and get breakfast ready dish up the rest of the mutton with the potatoes and you can put the stewed pears on the table those at five a penny a few moments later madame bacour came down just in time to see the cat knock down a plate that covered a bowl of milk and begin to lap it in all haste mr agree she cried the cat fled but promptly returned to rub against her ankles oh yes you can wheedle you old hypocrite she said sylvie sylvie yes madame what is it just see what the cat has done it is all that stupid christophe's fault i told him to stop and lay the table what has become of him don't you worry madame father goriot shall have it i will fill it up with water and he won't know the difference he never notices anything not even when he eats i wonder where the old heathen can have gone said madame vauqueur setting the plates round the table who knows he is up to all sorts of tricks i have overslept myself said madame vauqueur but madame looks as fresh as a rose all the same the doorbell rang at that moment and vautrin came through the sitting-room singing loudly tis the same old story everywhere a roving heart and a roving glance oh mamma vancour good morning he cried at the sight of his hostess and he put his arm gaily round her waist there have done impertinence say it he answered come say it now isn't that what you really mean stop a bit i will help you set the table ah i am a nice man am i not for the locks of brown and the golden hair a sighing lover oh i have just seen something so funny led by chance what asked the widow for the goriot in the goldsmith's shop in the rue dauphin at half-past eight this morning they buy old spoons and forks and gold lace there and goriot sold a piece of silver plate for a good round sum it had been twisted out of shape very nearly by a man that's not used to the trade really you don't say so yes one of my friends is expatriating himself i had been to see him off on board the royal mail steamer 
and was coming back here. I waited after that to see what Father Goriot would do. It is a comical affair. He came back to this quarter of the world, to the Rue de Grace, and went into a moneylender's house. Everybody knows him. Gobsec, a stuck-up rascal that would make dominoes out of his father's bones, a Turk, a heathen, an old Jew, a Greek. It would be a difficult matter to rob him, for he puts all his coin into the bank. Then what was Father Goriot doing there? Doing? said Vautrin. Nothing. He was bent on his own undoing. He is a simpleton, stupid enough to ruin himself by running after— There he is, cried Sylvie. Christophe, said Father Goriot's voice, come upstairs with me. Christophe went up, and shortly afterwards came down again. Where are you going? Madame Vauqueur asked of her servant. Out on an errand for Monsieur Goriot. What may that be? said Vautrin, pouncing a letter in Christophe's hand. Madame la Comtesse Anastase de Restaud, he read. Where are you going with it? he added, as he gave the letter back to Christophe. To the Rue de Helda. I have orders to give this into her hands myself. What is there inside it? said Vautrin, holding the letter up to the light. He peered into the envelope. A receipt account, he cried. My word, tis a gallant old doddard. Off with you, old chap, he said, bringing down a hand on Christophe's head and spinning the man round like a thimble. You will have a famous tip. By this time the table was set. Sylvie was boiling the milk. Madame Vacour was lighting a fire in the stove with some assistance from Vautrin, who kept humming to himself, the same old story everywhere, a roving heart and a roving glance. When everything was ready, Madame Couture and Mademoiselle Taillefay came in. "'Where have you been this morning, fair lady?' said Madame Vauqueur, turning to Madame Couture. "'We have just been to say our prayers at Saint-Étienne-du-Mont. Today is the day when we must go to see Monsieur Taillefay. Poor little thing, she is trembling like a leaf.' Madame Couture went on, as she seated herself before the fire, and held the steaming soles of her boots to the blaze. "'Warm yourself, Victorine,' said Madame Vauqueur. "'It is quite right and proper, mademoiselle, to pray to heaven, to soften your father's heart,' said Vautrin, as he drew a chair nearer to the orphan girl. "'But that is not enough. What you want is a friend.' who will give the monster a piece of his mind, a barbarian that has three millions, so they say, and will not give you a dowry. A pretty girl needs a dowry nowadays. Poor child, said Madame Vacour, never mind my pet. Your wretch of a father is going just the way to bring trouble upon himself. Victorine's eyes filled with tears at the words, and the widow checked herself at a sign from Madame Couture. "'If we could only see him,' said the commissary-general's widow, "'if I could speak to him myself and give him his wife's last letter, I have never dared to run the risk of sending it by post.' He knew my handwriting. "'Oh, woman, 
persecuted and injured innocent exclaimed vautrin breaking in upon her so that is how you are is it in a few days time i will look into your affairs and it will be all right you shall see oh sir said victorine with a tearful but eager glance at vautrin who showed no sign of being touched by it if you know of any way of communicating with my father please be sure and tell him that his affection and my mother's honour are more to me than all the money in the world if you can induce him to relent a little towards me i will pray to god for you you may be sure of my gratitude the same old story everywhere sang vautrin with a satirical intonation at this juncture goriot mademoiselle michonneau and poiret came downstairs together possibly the set of the gravy which sylvie was making to serve with the mutton had announced breakfast the seven people thus assembled bade each other good morning and took their places at the table the clock struck ten and the student's footstep was heard outside ah here you are monsieur eugene said sylvie every one is breakfasting at home to-day the student exchanged greetings with the lodgers and sat down beside goriot i have just met with a queer adventure he said as he helped himself abundantly to the mutton and cut a slice of bread which madame vacour's eyes gauged as usual an adventure queried poiret well and what is there to astonish you in that old boy vautrin asked of poiret monsieur eugene is cut out for that kind of thing mademoiselle taillefay stole a timid glance at the young student tell us about your adventure demanded monsieur vautrin yesterday evening i went to a ball given by a cousin of mine the vicomtesse de beauseant she has a magnificent house the rooms are hung with silk in short it was a splendid affair and i was as happy as a king fisher put on vautrin interrupting what do you mean sir said eugene sharply i said fisher because kingfishers see a good deal more fun than kings quite true i would much rather be the little careless bird than a king said poiret the dittoist because in fact the law student cut him short i danced with one of the handsomest women in the room a charming countess the most exquisite creature i have ever seen there was peach blossom in her hair and she had the loveliest bouquet of flowers real flowers that scented the air but there it is no use trying to describe a woman glowing with the dance you ought to have seen her well and this morning i met this divine countess about nine o'clock on the foot in the rue de grey oh how my heart beat i began to think that she was coming here said vautrin with a keen look at the student i expect that she was going to call on old gobseck a money-lender if ever you explore a parisienne woman's heart you will find the money-lender first and the lover afterwards your countess is called anastasie de restaud and she lives in the rue des helday the student stared hard at vautrin 
Father Goriot raised his head at the words and gave the two speakers a glance so full of intelligence and uneasiness that the lodgers beheld him with astonishment. Then Christophe was too late, and she must have gone to him, cried Goriot with anguish in his voice. It is just as I guessed, said Vautrin, leaning over to whisper in Madame Vauqueur's ear. Goriot went on with his breakfast, but seemed unconscious of what he was doing. He had never looked more stupid, nor more taken up with his own thoughts than he did at that moment. "'Who the devil could have told you her name?' Monsieur Vautrin asked Eugene. "'Ah, there you are,' answered Vautrin. "'Old Father Goriot there knew it quite well, and why should I not know it too?' "'Monsieur Goriot?' the student cried. "'What is it?' asked the old man. "'So she was very beautiful, was she, yesterday night?' "'Who?' "'Madame de Rousteau.' "'Look at the old wretch,' said Madame Vauqueur speaking to Vautrin, how his eyes light up. "'Then does he really keep her?' said Mademoiselle Michonneau, in a whisper to the student. "'Oh, yes, she was tremendously pretty,' Eugene answered. Father Goriot watched him with eager eyes. "'If Madame de Beausignan had not been there, my divine countess would have been the queen of the ball. None of the younger men had eyes for anyone else. I was twelfth on her list, and she danced every quadrille. The other women were furious. She must have enjoyed herself, if ever creature did. It is a true saying that there is no more beautiful sight than a frigate in full sail, a galloping horse, or a woman dancing. So the wheels turn, said Vautrin. Yesterday night at a duchess's ball, this morning in a money-lender's office, on the lowest rung of the ladder, just like a Parisienne. If their husbands cannot afford to pay for their frantic extravagance, they will sell themselves, or, if they cannot do that, they will tear out their mother's hearts to find something to pay for their splendor. They will turn the world upside down, just a Parisienne through and through. End of section 2